Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi, this is Trisha Keffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida. I hope you enjoy the following interview. And if you have any ideas for books, please drop me a line on my website at plantspeoplelove.com. This is Trisha Keffer with New Books in Architecture with a special mini-series in landscape architecture. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Bradley Cantrell. His new book is Codify, Parametric and Computational Design in Landscape Architecture. Hi, Brad. Welcome to the show. Hi, Trisha. How are you? Oh, good. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm um, you know, trained as a landscape architect. Um, I've been in academia for the past uh, about 15 years. Um, my, um, my research and my work is, is primarily, as you know, the topic of the book would probably um, lead you to believe, in, um, in the area of uh, computation in, in the discipline. Um, primarily, my, my work in that area has been um, looking at uh, uh, different ways media uh, changes our perception of the landscape. Um, and, and it's gone from really looking at the workflows that we, we developed to kind of kind of larger views of how media has changed our, our view of la- landscape and, um, and the environment. Um, and in more recent times, uh, really looking at the kind of physical computing aspect of that. So how computation is not only a way to, to make imagery or t- animations or things like this, but how uh, different forms of sensing in the physical environment, um, from remote sensing to local sensing, um, might might be a, a way that we begin to have a, a deeper attachment with environmental phenomena. Um, I'm currently the uh, a professor and the chair of the landscape architecture department at the University of Virginia. Before that, I was um, at the Harvard Graduate School of Design, where I was the graduate program director, um, and I also was the co- co-coordinator of the um, Master of Design and Technology, as well as the co-director of the Responsive Environments and Artifacts Lab. And then I'll say just one last thing. But before that, I was in um, southern Louisiana for almost a decade, where a lot of my research um, really kind of took hold um, and, um, and kind of looking at large scale infrastructure on the Mississippi River and, the, um, and the, the, um, the southern Mississippi River Delta. So what was your motivation for writing this particular book? So, so this book, um, you know, one of the things I had done in the past with the past three books um, the first two really looked at uh, you know the, the tools we use um, and how they how they're applied. The second book, Responsive Landscapes, tried um, tried to lay out an idea about how um, this kind of physical computing realm is taking kind of taking hold. And with Codify, it was really a, um, really about like looking across the discipline. Um, I've, I've I guess I've been I feel like I've been around long enough that I've seen you know computation relegated. You know, to the side, and it's really you know, for many many years, there's always a discussion: is it better to draw by hand or is it better to use the computer? Um, we're you know, we've we've gone way beyond that discussion these days. And Codify was really a way to look out and do a survey um, in landscape architecture, see what people are doing um, in firms, in academia, um, in in different venues, and um, and bring that all together. And so part of that is. Um, you know, in, in each of the sections, it's really looking at how how these technologies are applied, how they're changing our um, changing our view of the world, 
um, and and then also how we're um, how how we as landscape architects are actually creating the computational tools to to lead us forward. So, what is coding? Where did coding come from? So, so coding is, um, I mean, it's really just uh, the the way that we create instructions, right? For for really for for a computer, but it, you could think of it in in many different ways. Um, in this book, it's very much about compu- computation itself and, and how the com- how computing or computers do that computation. Um, and so coding is really just the development of that instruction set. How, how do we create the instructions that then that th- are then executed? Um, I would say in some ways that's um, been a discussion uh, in, in kind of multiple venues. One of it's about, about computation, and there's some kind of versions of this in the book, particularly in Leif Estrada's work and um, Gonzalo, Ricardo Gonzalez's work, really thinking about how coding might be a, a, um, a rule set or a set of, a set of instructions that might guide um, uh, you know, our, our interface with um, ecological systems and infrastructure. Um, so, so really the simplest answer is that it's just an, an instruction set, but I think in the book we try to expand that across different, uh, different venues or different um, applications. So um, it was interesting in a book, you talk about uh, you know, how technology develops. And then, for instance, I was interested in Kodak. I had a professional portrait studio for 20 years and how mm-hmm. technology moved forward. And then it takes a step back. Can you talk more about that? You know, we like move forward and then, you know, how businesses can use this uh, technology coming out of our programs. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of ways to think about that. One of them is, um, you know, we're, we're often, I would say, as, as a discipline as in landscape architecture, we're often not the ones creating the tools. And so what we see oftentimes is there's a, there's a lot of, um, I mean, I'll, I'll use the word progress, but there's a lot of, lot of progress, kind of, kind of furious examination of a certain aspect of, of society, and a whole range of technologies just kind of you know, burst out of that. Um, in, in, in some sense, what happens then, and I think this is what um, happened with... Um, you know, our, our move into digital media um, is that we as a, as a discipline take what we already know. And so um, if we think of kind of the original versions in, in terms of media, we, we essentially apply these technologies to become faster drafters, faster illustrators, um, you know, be able, being able to create more compelling imagery, more detailed document sets, and, um, and kind of engage in ever more complex projects. But there was, you know, there was never really this kind of paradigm shift in thinking with, with all of these new tools. And I, I would say that step back, we could call it a step back, but that step back is, all, is oftentimes about reflection. Um, and it's, it's, it's somewhat generational because we get to a point where an entire generation has been saturated in the tools. They don't know, or, or the technologies, they don't, they don't know a different version of the world. Um, and then that step back is really um, a, a kind of reevaluation of, of where, where we're at and, um, and then really um, trying, in some sense, being able to then reimagine um, the way we, the way those technologies are employed, or even what what technologies might be missing. And I think a lot of a lot of the work I'm I'm doing now, and a lot of the work that colleagues are doing now, is um, getting in, getting engaged in um, trying to understand what tools are missing. So I think for firms and and for the you know for the for the kind of professional world, you know, we see, I would say we see. Firms in, in, in many many ways complete. I mean, they completely embrace um, you know computation um, in one way or the other. Um, I think we, we can still say that there's a there's a place for the the analog tools, but I would I don't know of many firms out there that aren't you know almost fully embracing digital technology. Um, but I think one of the things we're seeing today is that we're at a place where 
many firms are also seeing the the fact the idea that they need to be the leaders, and so we see firms like um, Olin or Mahan Reichel um, or SWA actually developing their own, I mean, essentially their own research, um, uh, are, you know, um, groups, and those research groups are then. You know, some of it's about digital technology, but it's it's oftentimes about technology um, more generally. Looking at ways these technologies are, are applied specifically for in landscape architecture, um, how they might be used, um, and then you know, in all of that, what is the kind of um, market area that gives these firms a competitive advantage? Yeah. So you kind of uh, going forward and reevaluating and then making it better. Mm-hmm as you go along. Yeah. And um, I, you know, part, so, so sorry to interrupt there, but part of that is, yes, it's, I think it's making it better. Part of it is also even just, you know, we get to a point where we, we just, we essentially our shift, our, our thinking starts to shift, right? And because, you know, if, if we've been using a, you know, pencil and paper for, you know, a hundred years, you know, you know, 30 years into kind of, you know, digital drafting, our, our thinking shifts, um, we're, we're, you know, we're removed from those, those physical tools. So we're no longer trying to kind of emulate those two, 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 um, those old tools, but instead that step forward is, is that paradigm shift I'm talking about. And that's one where, um, you know, the, the, the pencil is no longer the, the surrogate or the, the thing we're simulating in the computer. It's now, it's now all about the pixels or it's all about the vector line work. Um, and so I think that's, that's that shift. And I, I would say it makes it better. We do lose something, but it, um, but it also, you know, completely alters our, our way of interacting with the world. Well, on a side note with that, you know, um, I changed careers and I went back to landscape architecture school. And of course I've used a mouse. Uh, most of, most of my, from high school on, we ha- I had a mouse in the house uh, for the mm-hmm. computer, but I went yep. back to actually uh, getting a, uh, the pen tablet and yep. I found that that actually, I could work much faster and I picked it up very quickly. Um, uh, using that uh, on my computer screen. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think this is a you know a whole set of experiments we've been doing, and and one of them is, you know, the the extension of uh, our mind to the end of our hand, right? <laughs> and um, you know, whenever we we then put the mouse in it, and then we also have the extension from the mouse back to the screen. I think that that you know it's it's um, just whole, a whole other level of mediation, and and I think the pen tablet is definitely one of those spaces where. Um, you know, one, it lets us feel comfortable from where we were to now, but it also um, gives us this, you know, connection with our body back to the input in the computer in, in a really tangible way. So, I, I mean, I think it's a good example. Um, well, you know, leading to that, I, I like this example in the book, the sentence, it says, humans are complicated and hard to measure. Um, so how can as designers, um, uh, how can we measure humans and how can we measure our design? Yeah, I mean, measuring des- measuring design is a, a pretty open question, and I, I would say the kind of um, quantification of, of, I mean, either human behavior or um, uh, or even kind of subsets of kind of human emotion, all of these things are. Um, I mean, I, I think they're you know one they're they're difficult. Um, the other is we we can we can do that in different ways, and and in re- in reality, I think it's the same way that we um, you know measure uh, eco you know the environment or ecological systems and and that's through abstraction and so we we're, we're actually quite good at this we we um you know we create a version of humans maybe idealized or or or, or not um but but it's a very simple version and and we take those behaviors and we generalize them across you know the, the complexity of humanity um we you know we see this in 
terms of managing environments, we, we simplify them and we build a set of rules for how we would manage them. And we look for that environment then to behave the way we want it to. And I, I would say we do something similar with, with um, you know, human beings. One, one of the issues there is that that, that is, you know, it essentially becomes another form of um, control. And um, in, in some sense, we, I think we always want to be careful there where, we're, you know, we're not over-assuming. Um, so, so I think I think that that one of the one of the things many people are trying to do is how do we how do we devise interactions between the abstract abstract systems of computation and the um, uh, the complex systems of of the physical world, right? And so, in some sense, if we if we build the models in the computer that then and that then allow us to measure those environments, how do we not strip that complexity out of it? Um, I, I don't, I don't have a you know definitive answer in that, but I think that's one that we're all we're all struggling with always, right? Is how do we use these tools to promote the complexity we love in the world, compl- you know, the the complexity of um, uh, of environment, of species, of ecology, um, also the complexity of just you know human human interaction and human um, uh, um, experience. That's that that right there to me is the the big project of landscape architecture and computation. How do how do we maintain that complexity while using these you know extremely powerful um, computational tools? So um, in that chapter of the book, let's see, you're talking about syntax. What is syntax, and um, how is it um, applied to uh, the block scale you were talking about, and how can designers use that in terms of syntax? Mm-hmm. So. In many ways, you know, when we're when we're starting to talk about um, this idea of syntax, it's really about this, you know, this um, what what is the language like? How how do we understand the language? How do we, um, uh, you know, um, you know, allow others to to take part in that that language through through the syntax? Um, and I think many of the examples we have in have in that in that part are are really diving into. Um, how it's being, how how computation is being applied in the, in, you know, in the practice and in research, um, and and what is what is the language of the that app that application? And so, um, I think in in that chapter we have um, a piece by Chris Reed where he's you know he's talking about generative mo- modeling, but but across a range of scales from furniture to um, to the city, um, and and what are the what are the languages in in all of those scales? Um, we have um, David Fletcher's piece on um, on South Park, which which is actually quite interesting because you know um, Fletcher Studio used a kind of reverse engineering process and and really developed the parametric model um, as a representation of their um, more kind of analog um, uh, explorations. And then you know Stephen Irvin in that one I think does a great job of really really laying out one one a history and which which um, which is really great. But then also diving, uh, you know, pretty deeply into what it means to have this um, this language, right, with the physical world and and with computation as a mediator. And so, so the, that that chapter on syntax is, you know, we think of it kind of broadly, but in all of those cases, it's really about um, what is the language of computation that we're engaging in, and then um, what what are the results um, that that we are getting from those different um, those different forms of language. How were you using um, the syntax in your uh, teaching studios? So I think I think we do this in a in a couple different ways. One of them is um, looking, you know, so in, in in the design studios, 
the one we taught um, just this last year, and I, I taught in coordination with um, Andrea Hansen um, and Brad Getz and um, PhD fellows uh, Zihao Zhang. Um, in that in that studio, this idea of of, of language or syntax, um, the, the way things are um, arranged, is really looking at what are what are so so sorry if I back up for one second. In that studio, we we're looking at the, the Central Valley in California, um, and really trying to understand as landscape architects how we might engage at, at the scale of, of a landscape like the Central Valley. Um, it's di- it's diverse, but it also has you know some, some kind of hugely monolithic infrastructures that are um, controlling it. So in that in that sense, what are the ways that we can begin to use um, the tools that uh, that created the Central Valley, right? Um, and that when I say that, these are tools of, of, of that we that were used to model the different the hydrological systems, to control the infrastructure, to model the um, uh, the, the hydrology and the, the agriculture. How can we start to hack into those and develop a language or, or syntax that um, that then begins to um, you know alter or change that kind of monolithic um, approach? And so, in that in that way. In terms of the way we approach that, was really asking them to create, um, you know, forms of representation. So, so digital models, animations, um, some some created uh, board games, um, but really these ways of creating uh, code or, or rules that that we can then play out scenarios um, and then understand how different forms of intervention in the landscape could um, could alter that alter that larger scale system. In other courses. We're, we're using it as uh, in this idea of, of the language just as ways to introduce computational thought. So in our, in our kind of more basic courses here at UVA, we're, we're using it as a way to you know, structure um, the way we think when we're working in the computer so that we understand uh, the way code is developing the instructions for um, the, tools, the tools we're using. Um, we're, not, we're not teaching coding itself in those courses, but really more how, how the computer is thinking um, or how the computer is executing its instructions. Um, thinking is, is probably too much to give it, um, and then uh, and then really getting this, getting them to understand that it's not just um, you know a uh, a collage we're making, but in, in reality the computer is computing all of these kind of elements, and um, and and the result is the the image that we've that we're beginning to create. So, uh, kind of to play on that, where does um, in the next section you're talking about perception? Mm-hmm. Um, and how we design sequences, systems, and patterns of our landscape. Um, but then you're talking about play, and it's a powerful human, quoting, powerful human cognitive method for exploration within bounded space. How does play play into uh, Codify? That's, I mean, another good question. I mean, I think in, in that section on perception, one of the, I mean, the last, the last piece in there by, um, uh, Robinson and Davis is, uh, I think, most most emblematic of that. And um, you know, it starts off. I mean, that, that whole section starts off on kind of the landscape as the model. Um, also, forms of simu- forms of simulation that begin to change our perception of the landscape. Um, and then, you know, in this last one, it's really um, it really speaks to what I think is an important project for landscape architecture, and that is the the construction of the interface that allows us to have access to these. Um, really complex computational tools on one side, and the, um, the the complexity of the physical world on the on the other side. So, in in some sense, the the, the project of representation that we've been engaging in for for many years is, becomes even more um, uh, important 
because now we're creating this kind of re oftentimes this real time interface between these two these two realms. And so that that interface is the one that you know it guides our perception. It, it changes the way we understand the the environment around us, changes the way we engage it, how we want to um, uh, I would say um, manipulate it. And so this this idea of perception becomes extremely important. And you know that that section starts off as I mentioned really looking at kind of two forms of that, the landscape as the medium itself and how we engage it. Um, and then also um, uh, ideas of simulation and then agent-based models and how each of those um, those kind of sit out there as cases that are, are different ways uh, we're using computation to begin to um, engage the physical world. So what are the um, six, let me go here, the six solution space, I have to click over here for a second. Yeah. The uh, the solution, the six. The six right. acronyms. Six acronyms. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have, what, I'd, I'm going to have to pull this up here. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think, you know, in, in that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to go back and remember all the six actions, but, um, you know, one of the, one of the pieces that I think is, um, once again, you know, so, so important there is, is that, that the, that the, the, the creation of that, um, that interface is, is a design project all in itself. And, and, you know, in that, that on one side, there's this kind of set of commonalities that are created, that are created, um, that, you know, that it allows us to not only you know, develop those commonalities in, in terms of interface with, with the, with computation and the environment, but it also lets us, um, you know, take on kind of human, human concerns and, and then kind of, uh, I won't even call them factual, but kind of data driven, data, data driven elements. So there's this, um, idea that both the subjective and, and the objective can be, um, uh, addressed in some, in some sense within this. So it's not, it's not computation just to begin to, take on the kind of objective, what we, we usually assume is objective components, but also gives this kind of subjective nature. And I think that then creates this kind of more generative, generative way of seeing um, the landscape, which allows us to actually engage it as designers and not as um, scientists or engineers. Um, I think the other, you know, some of the other pieces in there um, is that the interface, when we talk about play, the interface also allows us to to play and and the important important aspect of that is that you know um, by by simply engaging in it in a way that is um, about our curiosity as designers um, and our um, you know our you know a way to allow kind of the human aspect to come out of it um, it becomes a really a really kind of important aspect of, of this idea that the interface itself is is a project. Is there room for? Um emotional codify and aesthetic codify? I think so. I mean, um, you know, I, I think, you know, once again, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this idea that we need to, um, we need to kind of supplant kind of humanity through computation. And so this kind of aesthetic and um, emotional piece, um, while I think we want to engage it, I, I do think there's there's a there's a point here where kind of the insertion of the human being and a, allowing for you know taste um, culture um, uh, emotion to, to play a role 
is is important. And I think I think you know I'd have to go back and look at Alex and Brian's um, piece, but part of that idea of the interface, you know, hits on that right. Is that it's not just about the data; it, it is very much about kind of the human human being in, in that equation. And is it about like how we fit into like all these you know systems in the landscape? I think it is, but I, but I also think, um, you know, in that, um, you know, th there's, there's two things that, we're, that, we're, that we might be conflating here. One of them is this idea that, um, you know, the, the idea that it's uh, the tools that allow us to engage in new forms of, um, you know, speculation or new forms of design. And the other is the actual use of computation to shape the world itself. And that, those two things, I think somehow, I mean, oftentimes get kind of molded into one another. Um, I think in you know in Brian and Alex's piece, it's much more about the tools and the, and the ways of engaging, like the creating the tools that allow us to think of the world in, in new ways, um, and and also to bring you know bring together these kind of complex areas of computation and um, ecology or environment. Um, the the other one is, you know how how do we forge new? I mean, essentially forge new relationships with the environment. And part of that's I think a much slower slower process. Um, it's one that is, um, allows us to evolve alongside those new forms of engagement. And it's not, it's not really a new, a kind of a new restructuring of the world, but instead it's um, kind of, you know, little, uh, little kind of moments that we begin to um, develop and, you know, use computation as ways to, to kind of curate or choreograph those, those relationships with the environment itself. I think, you know, this isn't in Codify, but um, with Earl Ellis and Laura Martin, we wrote a piece, of, you know, a, a while back. They really talked about, you know, wilderness in this way and, and the idea that, you know, if, if wilderness is kind of a construct of our own perception of the world, how, how might computation play a, play a role in that? And part of what, the way we talked about that there was that we might begin to think of the world, you know, we're already altering it in very major ways. Um, we still think portions of it are, are um, have this kind of wild aspect, but what if, you know, in some sense, we don't even see the management anymore of, of the world or the control of it that we're imparting on it. And, and we, we get this new conception of, of, a, of a new and essentially a, a different form of wildness. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So how can we um, your next section was employ. So mm -hmm. can we. Um, employ these tools to make a better environment or keep it wild or what should we do? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, yes and yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, I think, you know, as landscape architects, we're always, I mean, I feel like we're opt you know, we're always optimists. We are, um, we're, we are looking to always make, you know, make the world better in one way or the other. Um, I'm, you know, I, I think part of that, I, I'm, I'm also, an optimist about human beings overall. Um, I think most most disciplines um, are are looking to make a better world in their own way. Um, I just I I believe deeply in the um, uh, in, in essentially the kind of training we give landscape architects and, and how they see the world. So so yes, I believe in most cases that's that's what we're that's what we're doing. And and I think you know the co computational tools have already made overall a better world for human beings one of the things that i think moving forward is that how do we extend that that you know and, and I'm, I'm using the word better in quotes here how do we extend that idea of a better world for uh you know 
a, a you know a whole you know all of the species that inhabit it. Um, that's one of the things that I think we've we've been really remiss in terms of uh, kind of you know human beings on Earth and, and the way we even use you know computation or other other kind of forms of design and, and control. We we've really thought about you know human safety, human comfort, um, human needs, um, and then we we oftentimes you know help or remediate those that we are um, you know those whose worlds we're changing. And I think moving forward, we're, we're moving to a place where computation's letting us, computation, also just new forms of kind of, you know, um, new philosophical frameworks. We're starting to see the world in ways that aren't just about human beings, you know, that human beings aren't just the kind of um, the apex and everything else falls, you know, falls below that. But instead, we're just one of many actors. And it's, a, it's part of it's a paradigm shift in the way we see the world, but it's also the tools we have are letting letting us see the world in ways that that complexity, um, you know, shows us that human beings aren't necessarily, you know, the the, the thing that needs to always be catered to. Um, for a better world, maybe human beings sit somewhere, um, you know, kind of in line with many of the other species. So yes, I think computation is is helping to craft a better world, but it's through the through the outlook that landscape architects might have, um, as well as other disciplines. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, talk about like human beings were not the apex. You know, um, I was talking with another gentleman. He's like, you know, human beings uh, in the span of the Earth's history, we're in a very, very small part of it, actually. Yep. Yep. We're, and uh, we're just we're just the last little tiny bit of the line. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> we might not be as important as we think we are. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, so how can we employ all these tools to make like a better community? Let's just say I'm here in Key Largo and um, we want to create some community centers, et cetera. How can Mm -hmm. I use these computational tools to um, design a better environment for um, not just, you know, thinking about people, but what about uh, the wildlife and the the ecology and the water quality of the area? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think there's, Kind of short-term and kind of longer-term looks at the way we begin to to use computation. I mean, in, in the short term, I think some of the some of the um, some of the more interesting uh, ways we're using these tools are really about in, in inclusion and um, in, engagement with communities. And I think in that in that sense, you know, rather than oftentimes um, creating uh, the platform so that everyone can be a designer along alongside of us. Um, what computation is often providing is is ways that we can begin to visualize the complexities of of say um, a community, um, how people can be more informed about their their actions in, in the kind of larger um, ecosystem of what it means to be part of a community, and then how they how the how that community can come to the table and and be engaged with designers, policymakers, um, uh, you know, uh, business leaders. So that they are that they have their own power um, when when they when they um, when they step up, and so I think that's you know that that is a real kind of way computation is is um, is helping, and that's oftentimes through web platforms or even just ways that we're collecting data, having open access to data, um, all of those pieces. I think in the longer term, one of the things we're seeing is that you know we're, we're we are we're at a place where we need less, I would say, complex models to un- understand the world and more you know, small-scale experiments to begin to test out many of the, many of the, the kind of new, new ideas that are out there. And so 
in that sense, I think computation plays a role because you know not only does it allow us to um, uh, to make quick models, test them in, in the computer, but then once we begin to see their effects in the landscape, to begin to monitor those, visualize the data that's coming from them, understand the interactions humans and others are having having with our our, our design um, our, our designs. And so I think on that end, this kind of long, this kind of longer term monitoring project that many firms are engaging in is it becomes another really important aspect of computation moving forward. So we can do like just small scale experiments to see how effective um, our design ideas are playing out in the real world. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that, you know, we've we've tried to do in the past is we've, we've tried to make the perfect model so that we can then create the, I mean, I'm using perfect also, you know, with a bit of hyperbole here, the perfect model to then create the perfect landscape or per- perfect community that then we maintain and, and keep the way it is, you know, going into the future. Um, part of what I think we're understanding is that, you know, there, there are, you know, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't really create kind of resiliency. And what, we really, what we're really needing to do is to develop ways of intervening in, in the world that are, you know, maybe smaller in scale, that, that, that essentially the act of um, creating that intervention is part of the learning process of the design project. Um, and that, you know, the intervention then allows us to see what happens and then, then create the next intervention. And so that could be something, you know, as small as say, um, uh, you know, a, 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 a community park that then we understand kind of how people begin to use that that space and then but but built into that is the idea that that park is going to evolve over time right and that it's not just about maintaining it in its kind of current form but that that that, that space will be um will be something for an evolving and changing um community but it could also kind of expand up to the scale of say what you know um watershed management and that you know rather than trying to understand all every single intricacy you know while we might have a model that gives us a general idea of how water will will um uh, behave, we um, we instead begin to employ smaller scale interventions, and those interventions kind of build on one another. Um, and you know, they they might fail, and we learn from the failure. They might succeed, we learn from the successes. But that that then creates this um, uh, you know a space that is uh, not not so fragile and not so um, easily breakable by kind of a single unseen event. So we can. Uh... Yeah, you don't have to know everything. We just need to know enough to uh, produce the results. Yeah, I mean, in reality, I, of course, we need to know something. But right? <laughs> but, yeah. um, but but in the end, it's like we, we'll never know enough, anyways. Um, yeah. In reality, and I think you know this is a this is the kind of opposite version of the way we've been thinking about computation. But you know, instead, we we act first, almost. But we act we act first in a way that's at a small enough scale. That um, that the failure of that action is actually a, is part of the learning process, and um, and I, I would say in that our ability to monitor, to observe the world through forms of computation, through forms of imaging, through through sensing and monitoring, becomes a kind of real key piece to that idea. It's not just um, our observations that we see with our eyes and, and kind of measure physically, but it's this whole other set of data that starts to come up and allows us to kind of analyze our our actions and and in a way, use that feedback to create the next action. Well, I guess that kind of leads to my next question. So, so in your book, you're talking about uh, a social ecologist. What is a social ecologist? Boy, that's, that's, a, um, that's a that's a hard question for me. Um, and this would be, um, you know, I would say that 
I'm going to give a really bad answer, and <laughs> my my faculty here probably at UVA would would kill me for it. But you know, you know, essentially, you know, social ecologist is is looking at the the relationships, in, you know, in society, right? Like how how do um, how do um, communities, how do how does how do um, uh, individuals interact with one another to create these kind of robust um, uh, you know human ecologies? And so um, and and so in that sense, I think you know. That the one way to, to to look at that is taking our our you know our, our kind of long-standing work in kind of the ecological sciences and now applying that to kind of hum, you know to human be, human behavior and human interactions. I think it's a good. I think it's, it becomes a good model for us to understand the kind of interconnect interconnectivity of of our society. So so on that end, you know the, the kind of social ecologist is often using computation, often using many of the same mod- models in computation to understand, understand um, you know, human society. Um, but it's, um, but once again, I think it's, it, it, it plays into the same space that I was talking about earlier. It's, it does become very much about ab- abstracting those relationships um, and, and it kind of removes us slightly from the actual interactions themselves. Um, so I'll, I'll go on to an easier question. Uh, you talk yeah. about <laughs> fluid hierarchy. What is a root hierarchy and versus a fluid hierarchy? Say that again. Uh, you're talking about here about a fluid hierarchy in design and a mm-hmm. root hierarchy. Can you talk about the difference between those two? I mean, so so part of that is look, you know, kind of if we if we look at re- many of the ways that we're that we we set up hierarchies to under, understand the world. Um, the idea of the, 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 those two forms of hierarchy is, you know, one is ever shifting essentially, right? That there is no, there is no real top to it. Um, there are moments where, you know, there is kind of one thing driving the system, but that that may shift to being kind of recipient of, of a new hierarchy um, at, at other moments. So I think part of that, um, sees the world less about developing the kind of hierarchical structure and then maintaining that, um, but instead, uh, you know, using those two forms of hierarchy, um, particularly this kind of more dynamic version, um, as a way to understand that, uh, you know, at any moment within a um, uh, within a hierarchical hierarchical structure, that there there may be these these kind of shifts in terms of what's um, what's what is what are the main what is the main driver essentially. So in your, your final chapter, you talk about you know, design for a mind with many bodies. How do we yep. do that? <laughs> yeah, so, so I think, you know, um, in, in that last piece that Ricardo wrote, um, I, one, of the, one of the really amazing things about some of that work, and, and it's extremely, extremely nascent. And so it's just like, I think it's kind of an, another new approach. But part of that is that rather than... Um, once again, developing this kind of upper, like this, this satellite view of the world that then allows us to manage it, that in many cases, the mind with many bodies is that there is a, um, uh, a, a way of engaging in, in much smaller ways to, um, in, in, so, so like smaller interactions with the physical world that then enact or um, enact a, a, larger, a larger change. And so the, the mind with many bodies is the, the, the concept that we have these these multiple interactions occurring, kind of small, like so. So for something like um, uh, you know a change in a hydrological system, we might have kind of small, very small infrastructure 
that is engaging um, the water column to, to affect turbidity, to, to change kind of dissolved oxygen content. Um, but they are, they're not, they're, they're behaving based on their interaction with that, that very local space rather than some larger controlling infrastructure that's trying to manage the entire system. Um, so the, that idea is that the, the, the intelligence is distributed as opposed to it being the, the, the one, you know, the, the one kind of entity uh, behind, you know, over, overviewing everything and then making the decisions. How do, you know, how we get there, I think that's, that's something that, I, that is, once again, comes back to this idea of prototyping and experimentation. Um, it's, it's, a, it's really about a, a different design paradigm. It's not one that, uh, once again, asks us to, um, you know, survey the world in, uh, in extremely high detail, um, take, take that information, analyze it to the nth degree, um, create, the, create a model of, of our design and then implement it. But instead, it really is the idea that we would, um, you know, kind of like Julian Raxworthy would um, put out there, that we're, we're essentially gardeners um, of, of the world, even at the, even at the largest scales. And that we're using computation in that fold as a way to extend our own um, um, sensorial abilities and become, I would say, even more complex in our um, in the way that we're um, essentially beginning to um, des- design those interactions. So it's, you know, gardening. Gardening seems like a, a very kind of simple way to put it, but but it, the the way that you know Raxworthy would put it would be that it's really this continual interaction, right? And that there is no you know, while there may be a goal, um, it's always assumed that the landscape is and um, uh, is going to be changing, and that our interaction with that is really about um, guidance and um, and and a reciprocal kind of lear- learning and feedback between humanity and um, uh, uh, other other species, other other um, you know other forms of matter, et cetera. Well, let me ask you: Do you have a favorite software to codify design with? So in terms of in terms of software, I mean, I'm you know, I'm at a place where I'm, I feel like oh, I'm no. kind of old school these days. No, really, <laughs> I, I'm um, you know, especially with you know working with all of my students, um, they're they seem to be you know every year getting you know farther and farther ahead of me. I, I'm you know I'm still a fan of um, uh, kind of you know three D modeling and animation software. Um, so things like three D Studio Max and um, After Effects. Um, in terms of you know creating representations of the of the world that are um, you know you know animated, but also very much about um, you know a story. Um, on the other end, part of you know part of what I'm 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 really enjoying these days is just diving deeper into into programming itself. And so in that in that sense, trying to imagine um, what's missing from all of these tools that we're using, and so using just using you know programming language like C sharp as a way to then begin to develop. Uh, these in, these kind of interfaces to to see data in new ways, to develop kind of real time connections between sensors and the, the models that, that that we can create from them. So, on one side, it's the kind of very base level, taking me all the way back to my early computer science days of, of coding, and on the other side, it's this this kind of media end of, of of being able to create animations, movies, and stories. Which I think I don't know if they go hand in hand anymore for me, um, but they give me kind of two ways of accessing different portions of my, um, the way I think about uh, computation. Is the new software, is it giving us new information or is it just a different way of doing the same thing? 
Um, I think I think this is what this is what you know in terms of this book. What I'm what I'm trying to put out there that it's actually there are new ways of thinking about um, uh, the the, inf- the information. It may be this. It may be very similar information that we're bringing in, but we are now able to um, you know alter it, process it, um, and see it in in new ways. And that is that is the kind of paradigm shift that we're in. Is that we're trying to really understand what what that what that means for us as landscape architects. So. Um, you know, many of these tools, um, you know, even even kind of these simple tools like um, uh, Rhino, which is a 3D modeler, and Grasshopper, which is this plugin for that, which gives us the ability to, you know, essentially um, create these associative models or and, and some forms of vis- visual programming. It's it's giving, you know, young I would say young designers access to the way computers think, um, which is something that you know I had access to many years ago when I first started out because I needed to actually do programming. Um, but then for a long time, it just disappeared. We essentially black boxed that. And with programs like Photoshop or um, um, AutoCAD, we kind of got rid of that understanding of how the computer is thinking. And so now we're, I think we're kind of getting back to that, that area, which is, which is changing. I mean, it's really changing the way we, we see the, um, the world around us. The computers, they're only as good as... Uh how we can program them. Yep. Yep. I mean, and I think this is, I mean, this is the, I mean, this is my, my push at least in the last, um, you know, 10 years has been that it's not enough for us to sit back and wait for, um, you know, the, the, the computer scientists um, to create the tools that, that they think we want, but instead we need to know enough that we can engage them in ways that are, you know, that aren't naive but at the same time, um, allow us to be landscape architects guiding the computer the computer scientists to help us create the tools we need. So we need to know just enough, right? We need to know just enough about how computers work. We need to know just enough about you know what um, how code is executed, um, and then uh, begin to you know imagine how those tools might evolve so that we can take on many of the issues that we want that we want that we hold dear to our heart as landscape architects. Do you think that programming involves imagination? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's no, I mean, there's no doubt about that in my mind. I mean, I think, I think you can look at, um, you know, while much of, much of programming, I would say has been put to, well, in, in like our collective consciousness has been put towards, um, uh, you know, business ways of creating new forms of business. There is, there's just, you know, so much imagination in, in that, in that realm, but it's all, you know, all for kind of one purpose. And that is typically, you know, a model to, um, you know, to attract funding. Um, so these kind of, you know, startups and things like this, but in terms of, um, you know, imagination and design coding is, um, is just another way to once again, abstract the way, abstract the world, um, and then use that as a, as a new way of seeing the world. So, so yeah, coding is definitely, um, full of, full of, um, imagination. Um, well, Brad, I'd like to thank you for being here today. It's been an honor and a pleasure to um, speak with you about this book. This is marvelous. Um, can you tell our audience, uh, what are you working on now? So now, you know, we're, um, you know, so, Ad, so I, you know, I didn't say this at the beginning, but Adam Meckes is my co-author on this book. Um, he's, um, he was, he's been at Design Workshop for many years. I'm, um, you know, Adam is, is kind of working on his own, his own projects. I'm, 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 I'm basically beginning to develop a, a research agenda here at UVA, al- along with um, many others here at the school, um, as well as some of my, my PhD students. 
that's really looking at a, a, a research center um, and a set of labs that that begin to create the platform for us to do exactly what I'm what I'm talking about, and that is a way for us to um, engage computation, engage these new forms of technology, um, and guide the creation of the tools that we you know that I believe we need uh, you know moving forward. So, you know, I'm I've I've, I've my um I'm not in you know involved heavily in um, uh, the the kind of research at the moment um, in my new role as chair. But it's definitely one that's uh, a role that's about um, helping guide others and and get the resources for them so that they can they can take this project forward. Well, that sounds wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for being here, and uh, we look forward to seeing more research from you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening today. This is Tricia Keffer with New Books in Architecture with a special mini-series in Landscape Architecture. If you have any ideas for books, please drop me a line. You can reach me through the American Society of Landscape Architects in the Florida Chapter website. And again, have a lovely day.